Well, it's still working right, so I guess I didn't mess anything up there. Revolutionary Left Book Club portion of the For We Are Many podcast. Today is part six of our uh, dive into Bobby Seale's book, uh, Seize the Time, the story of the Black Panther Party. Um, the link is available in the description of the video, and I will also be dropping it in the comments. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about what's going on in the book, obviously. Uh, we'll be starting on page 96, by the way. The section is titled Sacramento Jail. Um, anyway, I am your, I am one of your hosts, and I, I am one of your comrades. My name is Rob, and once again, thank you for joining us on the For We Are Many podcast. Hi, I'm Trisha. Welcome. Glad to see you guys out here with us again tonight. I believe Don will be joining us soon here. Uh, I'm hoping Austin makes it in tonight too. Yeah, that'd be nice. Be nice. Uh, James said howdy. I made it this time. Stupid work. <laughs> Hi, James. Glad to see you back, hon. wondering if oh, yeah. you'll be joining us again tonight too i think um i'm i'm sure she will she usually doesn't miss a stream <laughs> okay the right. link is in the comments Now I'm scrolling to page 96. All right. <clears throat> uh, before we get too deep into this, um, I'd like to invite you all to make a contribution to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash for we are many. Um, every dollar helps, seriously. And uh, you can find us all over social media. Um, I think I think that in the long term we're going to be transitioning back to using the website primarily. Um, 
we've been having some real issues with Facebook, which has so far been our biggest platform. So uh, we'll let you know when it's when it's back live. But of course, as always, our website is forwearemany.org. Um, we are for We Are Many podcast on YouTube, uh, at For We Are Many podcast on Instagram, and at For We Are Many Two on Twitter. Do you have anything you want to say or anything you want to plug, Trisha? Um, I would just like to say that there are a lot of things that we've got going on in the mutual aid group. There's a lot of people coming in there who are needing some help with some basics, whether it be food, clothing, you know, hygiene products. So if you're able to help out at all, please join us in the mutual aid group. If there is a need that you need met also, please join us in the mutual aid group and share if that, and we'll see what we can do to help. Um, I'm glad to see that things have started rolling in there. Um, you know, we've been cross posting stuff with other mutual aid groups that we collaborate with. And I, I'm glad to see that starting to pick up and take off. Thank you everyone for your participation. Um, it's a beautiful thing, you know, like one of, one of the greatest things that we can do as human beings is to, be there for each other when it's needed so thank you don is in the process of joining <clears throat> right on um so one thing that i've really tried to do throughout the uh course of this thing is to really you know like put these things in the words of the panthers I've been, you know, like showing a video of one of the primary Panthers speaking at the beginning of the streams. And today we're going to have an excerpt from a speech uh, by Eldridge Cleaver from 1968. Hell yeah. What do you say to the white man who looks around and uh, sees that his cities are being burned, feels his own uh, self threatened? Uh, what do you say to him? I say that uh, he should uh, look into the situation and <clears throat> discover the cause of uh, the activity that results in uh, burning down uh, buildings and uh, in uh, the spontaneous outbursts that we call riots and what other people call uh, uprisings. That white people organize themselves outside of uh, the Democratic Party outside of the Republican Party and to move to destroy and eliminate these parties and to uh, establish new political machinery that uh, is not wedded uh, to the interests of uh, exploiting corporations and exploiting businessmen who uh, are profiting from uh, the status quo. To understand what's going on in this country and understand that black people are moving for the liberation, that they want their freedom, and that they intend uh, to get their freedom, and that the reason the whole situation is taking a turn towards violence is because uh, the government uh, is not being responsive uh, to uh, the legitimate demands of black people. Say 50 years from now, I think the people will look back at uh, the activities of people today who are moving against uh, the oppression and uh, vindicate that.
to join black people to help uh, rearrange this country and make it a place uh, fit for human beings to live in. We're overworked, you see. We, we're not even able to function in terms of uh, schedules anymore. We have a list of things to do each day and we do as many of them as we possibly can so that everyone is overworked and, uh, whew, you know, we need a lot of more help from... Uh, you see, there's a thing like this. Uh, the people who we are organizing at this particular time are people who have never been organized before, who've never uh, belonged to the NAACP or to CORE or to any other organization. Uh, people who have the skills uh, that we really need in order to uh, rapidly develop uh, the party are educated people, uh, people who are members of the black middle class, and uh, we feel that they are going to be the last ones uh, to come in. Uh, we're going after the field Negroes first, and we'll get the house Negroes later. Good. Cut. Don, you want to uh, introduce yourself now that you're here? Welcome to Detroit. Welcome <clears throat> to Detroit. Hello, everybody. James, I see you missed me. Hi. Sorry I'm late. I was showering. You got to shower after you work out. You got to get that sweat and stuff off. None of this is as important as what we're doing. Let's move on. Hi, Tresha. I see you there. You're muted. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. I muted it for while the video was playing. I'm like scoping out your new microphone there. You got Oh, it's the... not new. It's not new. It's just a mic stand that Rob left at mom's house that just so uh, happens to have a pop filter on it so I can do my gotcha. peas. Be like, and it doesn't max out my mic. Gotcha. Rob gotcha. instantly looks annoyed. My lighting's a little off. <laughs> well, it's better than when the ceiling light's on just behind your head and, you know, oh. you're all completely in shadow. That's, that's <laughs> At least we can see I your face to, this time. That's my government whistleblower persona. Ah. Uh, Speaking of government whistleblowers, you guys remember like eight years ago when Ed Snowden was playing Where's Waldo at the feds? <laughs> That popped up in my memories today. Remember when, like, everybody thought he was going to Cuba and then, like, like they raided this plane and he wasn't even on it? <laughs> Want to be honest with you? No, I don't remember that. Oh. Well, I, I forgot about it till today, to be fair. I wasn't quite out of the army yet, so it just wasn't something I was paying attention to at the time. Which is a weird thing to say. You'd think that I would be paying attention to his uh, intelligence leak. <laughs> nope. Not that one. <laughs> anyway, so uh, as we already said, we're picking it up on page 96. The section of the section is titled Sacramento Jail. Uh Eldridge spotted a brother down inside the cell. He was bleeding. Somehow, Eldridge detected more than I detected when I first looked at him. Eldridge could see that his face was all fucked up. Then he began to groan. 
Eldridge said, hey, brother, what's wrong? He got down, looked at him, and saw that the brother's eye was almost hanging out of his head. His face was swollen all up around his right eye. The pigs had beat up the side of his head. His nose was bleeding, too. A pig come to the door later on, and Eldridge told that pig that he'd better get this man to hospital. He said, you get this man to a hospital. Look at his eye. Look what's happened to him. His head's all swollen up and everything. Eldridge knows how to deal with the pigs and the prisons. The pigs went on and got themselves together and called the ambulance and took the man to the hospital. That was good. Uh, we got the brother out of there to the hospital. The pigs had whipped him all up inside, and he was drunk, too. The pig... The pigs beat cats up when they're drunk just because they're sadistic motherfuckers and they have somebody who's helpless and they can just beat him. That was a, that was the way a lot of shit went down in Sacramento. A little after that, they decided to move all 18 of us to this big tank, this big drunk tank. You had to take your shoes off and you couldn't have any cigarettes or stuff like that. Wow, that finally, finally, there's like a hint that this isn't today because you can smoke in jail. Anyway, never been. That must have been nice. <laughs> Being in jail and not getting to smoke really sucks. I've I've heard Same. from family. A couple of lawyers had gotten together and they got up there from Oakland. We got one of the lawyers to go to the cigarette machine and smuggle us some cigarettes. They called me out to try to get me to sign some jive statement. I didn't have to sign a statement. Nobody signed any statements. I think one brother almost broke down and got weak and almost signed the state statement, but he held on. I was out there refusing to sign the statement for quite a while, and when I came back in, the brothers had always, already smuggled some cigarettes in while I was out there. The lawyers wanted to talk to me, and I talked to them a long time. The pigs seen all this smoke in there and began searching for the cigarettes, trying to find the cigarettes, but the brothers hit them in a loose piece of tile near the, near the ventilator <laughs> in the ceiling. That's dope. <laughs> mm. Before they left... Basic training. <laughs> Before they Wait. left, Eldridge and I said, when are we going to get some food in here? One of the pigs was talking about, you ain't going to get no food, and Eldridge vamped on him. What you talking about, we ain't going to get no food? We're gonna get some food in this motherfucker, or don't you motherfuckers never come up in this door no more because you come up this door, there's 18 of us and maybe three, four, five of you. Big Willie walked up and the pigs looked at him. Willie was a bad looking cat. He looked like he could knock a dude out of the picture, which he could. I saw him knock a dude out later on in Big Greystone. We were mad because when the brothers started getting hungry, they got to remembering the big pans of chicken everyone was gonna eat. The brothers were mad about that chicken, and that's when we told them, don't you come back in here, because if you come in here, you might get your heads whipped. And Big Willie walked up and put his arms up. That was a righteous protest. <clears throat> Personally, I thought they weren't gonna feed us. I thought they were gonna lock us up and just never come back. But about 45 minutes later, the dude said, all right, line up, line up, let's go, hit the food. All the brothers had lined up, uh, lined on up to get that food because you gotta live. Everybody lined up and we had a, big, uh, a bag of piece. We had a carton of milk, a cheese sandwich, a hamburger, and an orange. Talk about a well-balanced meal. Damn. Right. We were hungry, man. Fuck. We hadn't eaten all day and it was five or six in the evening. We knew they weren't going to feed us and we, uh, and we were getting mad remembering that chicken. It wasn't only Big Willie jumping up and talking about, I'll knock you out, but everybody was saying, you'd better get some food in here, you goddamn motherfucker. Who the fuck you think you are? 
you better bring some goddamn food in here. We've had this shit. That was a little power play we made on them. They went out and brought us food. That's the way you have to do it. Use them tactics. That was very important to revive the spirits. Everybody was kind of down. Well, except for Eldridge, most of the other brothers hadn't been to jail. Uh, some of the brothers were sloughing in the corner while we were busted. Mark Comfort's boys, two of them slot out, um, jumped up talking about if I'd have known this was going to happen, I'd have never come along. Just got the jiving. They hadn't been in enough situations with Huey P. Newton out there on the streets. That's fair. <laughs> and I mean, right? that's, that's the whole thing. <laughs> jail, for those of you who haven't been to jail, jail is not there as a rehabilitation or anything like that it's there strictly as a punishment it's designed to break you and nothing more nothing less it's designed to break you um and they really hate it when it doesn't break you and you're still in there talking about your rights and being like fuck you pig experienced that yeah i got roughed <laughs> up at the genesee county <laughs> sheriff's office after i was arrested with a knife at a protest because you know you can't fucking do that. Mm -hmm. And Emmett was like, they're going to do I it anyway. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Those those Genesee County sheriffs are, are kind of douchebags, the ones that work in the jail. They roughed me up just for asking them if they left their fucking jobs while they were doing the strip search and being all kinds of assholes to me. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to remember your face. <laughs> like, you know it still didn't stop they thought they were funny coming by the cell being like oh what the fuck do you think your rights mean now you're in here with us i was like i'll remember that and make note of it with my attorney too fuck you pig get the fuck out my doorway <laughs> like <clears throat> assholes that was an arrest for pulling a shoddy on some neo-nazis trying to boot the door in like fuck you false arrest unlawful arrest well, I mean, and obviously they never pressed charges, but they sure as shit kept your shotgun. They kept right. my knife, too. Right. Yeah, they knew they couldn't press no fucking charges, but they held me for, you know, about 70 of the 72-hour limit they were allowed. Anyway. Anyways, jail <laughs> sucks. I don't recommend it. <laughs> There were a couple of other brothers who had been in jail before who could relate to the situation because that's all there was to it. I personally had this goddamn feeling that I had just made a big mistake. I kept running over it, but it made me feel good too because we were vamping on these pigs and Eldridge just knew more about how to vamp on the pigs than I did. I'm glad he was there that day. I'd been in jail before, but that was in a military stockade. I'd been in the stockade twice for one month and eight months when I was in the Air Force. And the most time I'd been to jail in between those times was 10 days here, 12 days there, 30 days in Los Angeles on some bullshit. But Eldridge knew how to deal with the pigs. He was vamping on them in a minute, and it always made me feel good to know that he was there because he wasn't going to let pigs mess over any of us. He'd remember things like food and how to talk to the motherfuckers. All the brothers' spirits revived. I know most of the brothers must have had thoughts about uh, what we said in the last point of the program. We wanted land, bread, housing, education, clothing, justice, and peace. But the brothers knew the bread was food, righteous food. I know they must have remembered that because I remembered it. We were off in jail there, 
and the man was talking about how we weren't going to eat. He must have been crazy. Burn that padded cell up one way or the other. We had no matches or anything, but we would have found something to burn it up with and cause shit. Brothers started ripping those iron strips on the wall. Big Willie started ripping them off. Big Willie lifted some powerful weights. Power weights powerful. <laughs> Wouldn't they just be heavy? <laughs> Listen, you just wouldn't understand. Unless unless you unless you bought that life. And his muscles just rippled all over his arms. He'd been in the joint before. He got most of that in the joint. He got a lot of it, I found out later on, outside on the streets. Anyway, Big Willie Thompson, the Black Panthers, and Eldridge Cleaver were all in jail there. We finally ate, and after we ate, most of us laid out across that padded cell floor and went to sleep. I went out and I made a phone call. A lot of brothers went in and out making phone calls. I called the bail bondsman. I called, called Williams Bales, uh, Bail Bonds. He's an older cat, about 45. He's a boyfriend of my sister's and he told me on the phone that Huey had already been to the office and he had gone somewhere to do a radio program to get some support saying that we should all be set free. We were political prisoners. I told him that I wanted him to bail out all the brothers, all the brothers now. Just bail us out and we'll raise the money for you. He'd said, he said he'd see what he could do about getting us on up there. So I said, if you can't bail out all of them, then bail out me and Eldridge right now. The reason I wanted Eldridge out is because Eldridge was on parole. When a dude's on parole or probation, the teletypes get to working from city to city. They find out about the person being on parole and then they'll call up the parole officer and make him put a hold on him right away. One time Huey was getting out of jail in Ber uh, Berkeley he was on his way down the stairs, coming out of the front door, and the teletypes got to working. Um, really? Windows update pops <coughs> up in the middle of a stream. Like, do you want to restart your computer now? No. No, I don't. <laughs> right? Stupid. Like, no. No, we're, we're using that. <laughs> Fucking using that. No. <laughs> no, Windows. Sorry, anyway, uh, one time Huey was getting out of jail in Berkeley, he was on his way down the stairs, coming out the front door, and the teletypes got to working. Ten pigs ran downstairs and grabbed him and said, your probation officer put a hold on you so you can't get bailed out. That's why I told Lionel Williams to try to bail out Eldridge, me, or anybody right away right quick, but he wouldn't do it. Anyway, we went and got some sleep. It had been a long day. We'd done a lot of revolutionary work for the party. Revolutionary and political work. I remember George Dowell talking about how he never was going to jail no more. He didn't like jails. I can relate to that brother's feelings about jail because George Dowell had five, maybe six kids. The youngest one was about three or four years old. His wife was at home in North Richmond. His brother Denzel had been killed. He readily joined the Panther Party because he knew it was the right thing. He understood that you couldn't call on pigs to help you. He related to that unity we were talking about, the unity of black people defending themselves against these pigs murdering us in our community. But with his wife and his kids home there, he just couldn't be or couldn't see being locked up in jail. George also talked about how he was supposed to have been back to work that night. That job, of course, was directly related to his family and he just hated to be locked back in jail. He was never going to jail no more. He just didn't like it. But I kept reassuring the brothers and I, kept, I began to ask the brothers their names because with some of the brothers, I didn't know their full names. I wanted to remember their names so that if I got bailed out right away, I could tell the bail bondsman which names to ask for because sometimes if you come up and say you want to bail some people out and you don't know their names, the pigs won't bail them out. 
I asked them for their names for that specific reason. Pigs will withhold information on you while you're on uh, inside the jail in a minute. And actually, I I know that because um, remember going back to my arrest. You remember how much difficulty um, any of you had finding out where I was even being held, right? Like that. That was a clusterfuck to even find out any info at all. They didn't want to tell us shit. Yep. From what Jay, uh, from what Jay told me when I, when I got out and went back to camp, you know, like he went up there demanding the writ of habeas corpus, and uh, you know, I was released about an hour later. But like, you know, they wouldn't answer any of his questions. They wouldn't say whether or not I had been arrested, even though there was witnesses to that. They wouldn't say what I was being charged with. They wouldn't say where I was being held. And all, of nope, that, they didn't. and all of that was so I couldn't be bailed out. Right. We were coming down there trying to find out what all we needed to do to bail y'all out. And they were just refusing to answer any questions. Like, sorry, we don't have any information for you. Like, the fuck you don't. You know where you've got him. Right. For that matter, they, they got rid of the uh, ombudsman's office right before that happened. So, you know, like I couldn't even follow up on a complaint that I made to the police department. Fucking stupid. Anyway. Hey, by the way, um, I just sent Shadi the Zoom link. He's going to be popping up in the waiting room momentarily. Oh, dope. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he wanted to check it out, and uh, so I asked him if he wanted the event link or the Zoom link to hop in on, at the table with us. So uh, I just said him that one. Yeah. Indeed. Good Any, Anybody else want to read for a minute? Top back to that Mouthful. page. Cheese. <laughs> anyway, we uh, fell asleep. I guess it was about My 12 bad. or 1 o'clock at night and somebody came in there and called me. One of the brothers shook me to kind of wake me up and said, you're getting bailed out, let's go. I looked around, I saw all the brothers asleep. I said, well, I won't disturb them. The best thing I can do is get on out of here and start working to get some bail money to get these brothers out of here. So I got out and right. went downstairs. Uh, Mark Comfort was there with the lawyers. One of the lawyers was Beverly Axelrod. I explained to her the best thing to do was to run back to Oakland and get Huey so I could get with Huey and figure out a way, a way to get the bail money together and get all the brothers out. Um, we jumped in the car and drove on down the 90 miles to Oakland. I didn't even go to sleep. We drove all the way down. In fact, I drove. I'd already had some sleep. They were pretty tired and I drove all the way in. We got to my house on 57th in Oakland. Uh, Huey was waiting there and he handed me a cold Colt 45 beer. Ugh. Uh, sorry, man. Just uh, right. Cold forty-five. Uh, uh, that's rough beer. I mean, I was gonna yeah. say at least it's not Steel Reserve. Uh, Steel Reserve wasn't even around then. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh Steelies. <laughs> just no <laughs> bad memories. Huey greeted me and said, "Brother, you were good. You were beautiful." You were a true revolutionary. You did the job like you were supposed to do. Oh, hey, Shadid is here. Let's see, I'm trying to 
Fine. Are you on page 100 now, I think? Um, I am close to the bottom of 99. Okay. The last paragraph before bailing out the brothers. Okay. Um, just a second. I'm going to share the book link to Shadid as well so he can... Oh, hey, we have a bunch of comments. Natalie is here. All right. Natalie said, back in the day, cigarettes in a machine. James said, brothers don't want to sign um, jive turkey paperwork. Hell no, they don't. <laughs> Emily said, hi. Hello. Hi, Emily. James said, tell it to go away, Rob. I'm assuming he's referring to the uh, my computer trying to reboot in the middle of this. Okay. Welcome, Shavid. Good to see you. Although, well, right now we're looking at your back. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't see him. <laughs> <laughs> You're still muted, Shavid. And I just sent you the link for the book. We're at page 99. Almost Can you guys hear me? Yes, finally. <laughs> <laughs> can y'all hear me? Yeah. Yeah, now okay. we can. Right. Yeah, right. you were still muted there for a moment. The camera feed, but uh, I did turn on video and I'm not seeing anything either. I'm just seeing shadow around you. Oh, yeah. You know what? My camera sucks when it comes to light. Let me see if this works. I'm going to turn on my light real quick. Plug. Where are you at these days? Are you still out in the Denver area? Or? Yes, I am. Hell yeah. Until Trisha come kidnap me. <laughs> Soon, bro. <laughs> Soon. Yep. Uh, have fully see. functional RV now. Let me see. Hold on. Let me stop video. Start. There we go. We see you now. My... You can see me? Yeah. I can't <laughs> see me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's cool. What's up, Rob? How you doing? Oh, pretty good, man. I'm living out in fucking Phoenix now. It's hot. I hear it's fucking hot. Dude, yeah, the, we had a heat wave last week, and it was like over 115 every day for like six days, and the lows were in the 90s, bro. It was bad. <laughs> so what what is the the nighttime temperature? Well, during the heat wave, it was like 90s, like low 90s. Uh, okay. Right, right oh. now it's like you know anywhere between the high 70s and low 80s. Okay, that ain't bad right there. Yeah, you should be a lot more tanned unless you just hiding inside all the goddamn time. <laughs> no, I mean, I yeah, I was going to say, like, in the summer, I, I tan more in the winter, bro. <laughs> okay. You out more in the winter. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. 
Yeah, it sucks when you walk outside. Like I walk like 30 feet to my car and I'm just like, oh my God, am I gonna make it? Did I bring enough water? <laughs> yeah, I know you gotta have water That's... everywhere you go. Right, like Flint, you just gotta have water. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, Come man. prepared. <laughs> really? Mm. Uh, you need so to get you sent me a link to a book. Yep. Uh, yep. That's in your text. We're at uh, page ninety-nine, towards the bottom. Okay, I'm I'm in a, like emergency battery mode right now, so I'm just leave this window up. I'm only at seven percent. My fucking phone will die on stuff like this if I don't put it in like super saving mode. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, so like, um, I stumbled across this book somewhere on the internet months ago, and uh, we wanted to do a piece on the Black Panther Party, right? So then, okay. like, I brought up this book, and we were going to try to, like, sum this down into one episode, and we realized how fucking stupid that was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Now, who's the writer of the book? Bobby Seal. Bobby Seal. Oh yeah, man! You're not gonna make one He's episode. One of the original Black Panthers. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, like, we right. we got about like got 20 minutes into it, and we were just like, you know what? We're gonna read this whole fucking book, <laughs> and now we're about okay. halfway through it. <laughs> right, that's what's up. Well, I'm all ears, man. Yeah, it's a good read. All right. So. Um, uh, yeah. well, do you want to finish up that section that, and that I'll start paragraph. out on bailing out brothers? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, Huey greeted me and said, brother, you were good. You were beautiful. You were a true revolutionary. You did the job you were supposed to do. He shook my hand, wrapped his arm around my shoulder like the brother will do when he knows that we've done righteous revolutionary work. We sat down and I explained a few other things other than what the TV had put over. We talked a little bit, talked to Beverly about the fact that when we had to get these brothers out on bail. Um, I guess it was about three o'clock in the morning by then, so we decided to take off at six to make sure we were back in Sacramento by eight. Holy shit. Talk about a tight <laughs> I went to sleep. Right. right. So, somebody came back over to my house and got me up. Huey Beverly, Huey Beverly and I jumped into the car about 6.15 and cut out back to Sacramento. So they left late. Shit. <laughs> right. Like off schedule, shit happens. Day late and dollar short. Yeah, no shit. But uh, all right, now we're uh, getting into the section bailing out the brothers. There is supposed to be a court hearing at nine concerning the lowering of the bail, which had been arranged by Beverly Axelrod and another lawyer. Huey held a press conference and he blew those pigs away. He talked about the power structure like it had never been talked about before. He brought out significant things about why we had guns, the reason we had guns. We had guns to defend ourselves against the 400-year-old brutality and oppression. They were asking him if he was anti-white. He said, no, we're not anti-white. And sorry, my page jumped. There we go. I don't hate a person because of the color of his skin. I hate the oppression that we're subjected to daily by racist pigs and other racists who attack and murder and brutalize us. Those who have been brutalizing us for 400 years. And Huey just ran it all down about the wars. Politics is war without bloodshed, and war is a continuation of politics with bloodshed. You talk about antagonistic contradictions and non-antagonistic contradictions that exist between the people and those who are supposed to represent them in the government. 
I remember him running down that antagonistic contradictions are created by the power structure attacking the people or attacking those who disagree with the basic political decisions that have been made by the power structure and put on people's heads. And when the people disagree with those political decisions made by the power structure, the power structure always sends in guns and force. By sending guns and force, attacking the people, the contradiction becomes very, very antagonistic. Therefore, so the people to, should always stand. I'm, I'm sorry. Go for it. I wanted to, I was going to interject before that paragraph, actually, but I can address both of them. They are referencing Mao, um, mm -hmm. both, you know, on contradiction and uh, the politics is war without bloodshed and war is a continuation of politics with bloodshed. That is literally um, a quotation. Direct Mao from, quote. Right, exactly. From the Little Red Book. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry, uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, if anybody's interested in digging deeper into that, we do have a bunch of pieces we've done on the Little Red Book, too, if you want to refer back to the Maoist uh, writings there, too. There's some excellent quotes in there. Uh, anywho, therefore, the people should always stand, and they do stand, for peace. The people, the masses of the people, want peace. The masses of people do not want war. Huey, quoting Chairman Mao, said the Black Panther Party advocates the abolition of war. But at the same time, we realize that the only way you can get rid of war many times is through a process of war because war has been unjustly waged against us and our communities. Therefore, Huey says, the only way you can get rid of guns is to pick up a gun and get rid of the guns of the oppressor. The people must be able to pick up guns to defend themselves against all forms of aggression, all forms of racism, all forms of real racism. We went off in the courtroom to sit down and the lawyer from Sacramento and Beverly Axelrod were making motions for lowering of bail. And we looked and listened. The judge didn't want to lower the bail. He started citing off the records of brothers who had been arrested before. The hardcore brothers off the block. Even Emery Douglas, an artist who went to art college for some kind or of some kind for two years, had a record on him. He'd been arrested three, four times, spent five, six months in jail. They came down to Eldridge Cleaver's record and Beverly Axelrod began to explain how Eldridge Cleaver was arrested, that he didn't have a gun or anything. That in fact, and it was true, Ramparts had sent him up there. That he was a writer for Ramparts and he knew that the Panthers were going so Rampart sent him up to cover the story as a reporter. And Beverly Axelrod blew so beautiful about how Eldridge Cleaver was snatched up off the corner just because he was black. He went, or she went further to prove this to the judge about how everybody had witnessed a black woman who was a citizen of Sacramento and not a black panther being snatched up by the pigs and taken apart just because she was black. That's very important, I think. And she said that's why Eldridge Cleaver was arrested. A man with a camera in his hand, without a gun, who was taking pictures, just like 20 other cameramen took pictures on that corner, the same corner where the Black Panther Party got arrested. She blew a beautiful set, Beverly Axelrod did, in defense of Eldridge, that they should release Eldridge, that he's on parole, and there's no reason for them to hold him. Uh, they arrested him erroneously, etc., which they did, because that's exactly what Eldridge was doing. Eldridge was righteously covering. Although Eldridge was a panther at the time, he didn't have a gun, and he was functioning as a reporter, and so she blew. They announced that the brothers were supposed to appear the next day at the municipal court across the street, 
And me and Huey went home and came back the next day. We appeared in court and we vowed that if the brothers weren't out by Friday at two o'clock by hook or crook, any way we can, we're going to get that money to bail the brothers out. We were worried about the money. We figured we had, you know, a few funds coming in, but we were going to get out that money. We were going to bail all the brothers out. But our most extreme worry, our major worry was Eldridge Cleaver because he was on parole. He just spent nine years in prison and he could possibly go back to prison. And that's what we worried about the most. Huey said, the reason we're going to get those brothers out is because those brothers off the block who stuck with the organization, who took time to learn the principles of the organization, and who took time to understand and follow the leadership of the organization, they're the real true heroes, not us, Bobby. I said, you're right, Huey. I know that. You're right. By hook or crook, I'm with you. We're going to get the money to get the brothers out of jail. So the next day we... Um, I, I just wanted to like, I guess the way to word it would be Phil shot Eden. If you want to like interject with an opinion at any time, that's kind of how we do this. That's how the discussions happen. We just kind of, you know, like, pipe in. Yep. Right, exactly. And <laughs> I, I mean, for that matter that this whole section really for anybody who has ever been to jail and is, and, or has ever been broke. That is certainly something that we can all relate to. If you don't have bail money, you don't know right. how fucking long you're gonna, you're gonna sit there. And right. if you're on fucking probation, forget about it. All right. By the way, Shadid, your mic is still muted again. So I see your lips moving. We can't hear you. <laughs> yeah, I was sitting here talking. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm just all ears. This is kind of like my first time hearing the story. So ours too. <laughs> right on. Okay. Right? Yep. This is our first time reading it all together. You know, I'm, I'm glad you found this book, Rob. I'm fucking loving this. Bobby Seals is shit. I really wish that I remember where I got it from because it was like a downloadable file because, of course, you know, like right in the beginning, we, we I guess I can scroll back up. We're, we're on page 101. I'm going to read the, uh, the copyright disclaimer because it's great. Oh my fuck. God, it is. <laughs> it says, fuck copyright. Feel free to mirror this book, print it out, quote parts of it, or better yet, act upon it. <coughs> right. And that's fucking dope. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. fuck the copyright. Because they weren't kicking this out to try to, you know, capitalize on it, on it and make a fucking buck. They were kicking this out for knowledge for people. You know, share of it. Knowledge is a human right. Yeah. Anyway, that was that was my interjection. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next day, we came up early in the morning, and before the brothers came to court, we cornered a bail bondsman, a jive motherfucking bail bondsman. We found him out later to be a really jive dude. He was a black one. Name was Glenn Holmes, who was in Sacramento. He had a statewide license. He could bail anybody out all over the state. We called on him and started talking to him. And Huey got on one side of him and I got on the other side of him. We got to rapping to him. We got to talking about, or to that brother so strong and so hard and so fast and running it down to him why he should bail these brothers out of jail. The fact that we have enough publicity to raise the money, just that we have to get these brothers out of jail now. 
And these brothers, their feet have to hit the ground, work hard. This is something that Huey always stressed. And I really learned this from Huey, the meaning of being dedicated to pulling brothers out of jail. Huey was rapping to that dude, Glenn Holmes, and running it down to him about how he should go forth and bail the brothers out on credit. Glenn Holmes was the dude who went on and bailed me and Mark Comfort out initially on half credit because they, all they had put up was half the bail. But we talked to him before the court appearance came about. He says, all right, I'll do it. And Glenn Holmes did it. He said, they'll be out by six o'clock this evening. And Huey said, well, we said two o'clock, but if they can hit the ground free, like by the six o'clock, uh, we, you know, then good. Uh, we waited for the court appearance for the arraignment and they arraigned the brothers, charged us all with conspiracy to commit a misdemeanor. What? The said misdemeanor being disturbing the peace. Right? What? Conspiracy <laughs> like, to commit proper a protesting. misdemeanor. Right. Right. Like, how Huh? Can, How does conspiracy even... How do you conspire there? to disturb the peace? <laughs> That's what I want to know. I would love to know. By exercising your First Amendment motherfucking rights. That's all. That's all it takes. Fuck. You know, that, that's the thing. That's what a lot of this comes down to is they get pissed when people speak up about their rights. Plain and fucking simple. Like, how dare you proclaim that you have rights? You know? Pigs. Uh, let me see where did it go. Conspiracy to break any law. A conspiracy is that you conspire to break a law. But we weren't guilty of any such thing. Right? <laughs> right? It was like, wait a minute, what is this bullshit, you know? Um, Huey only told me to go to the steps, and we went inside the place to observe the legislature. But who disturbed it? The fact that we were running down was that the TV cameraman disturbed it. The first thing that the speaker said when we walked inside, and when the cameraman flushed through another door and ran all up the aisles, the speaker said, get those cameramen out of here. Who brought those news reporters in? Get those cameramen out of here. They have no right to be in here and blah, 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 blah. That's what he said. He never said, get those Panthers out of here with those guns. He never said all through the whole set. It was never said. I mean, that's the legal technicality of the whole thing. Of course, I served five months in jail and Tucker served six, along with some other Panthers who served some other misdemeanor time for doing nothing illegal. Anyway, we got the brothers out of jail. Six o'clock, we were waiting for them. They start filing them out. They filed the brothers out, and as each brother would come out, Huey would give him a big hug and pat the brother on his strong revolutionary back, hit him on his strong revolutionary back, and say, brother, are you glad you did it? And the brother would say, right on. Huey said, we did a good job, and hit every brother on the back that come downstairs. And Warren Tucker, the man on my left with a 357 Magnum, was the last one to come out. He said, well, God damn, I was getting ready to say these motherfuckers better let me out of this motherfucker. He saw everybody else leaving. We got those brothers out and Huey greeted them as revolutionaries. Huey greeted them as dedicated brothers. We piled them in the cars and we took them back home to their home in the confines of the decadent ghetto that we live in, in Oakland. We brought them beer to let them drink the beer. Our juveniles were still in jail, Bobby Hutton, Orlando Harrison, and one other brother who was in North Oakland working on the poverty program with me, and two other brothers of Mark Comforts. Uh, that's, that's the end of that section. Just for um, a little reference, the whole shit that started all of this of why they were being arrested there was because 
they legally, you know, asserted their right to walk into the courtroom and address some shit. And, you know, Bobby had read a statement that Huey P. Newton had written. um, And it got pissed off that he was, you know, actually getting a positive response. That all of the cameramen were coming to him going, wait a minute, would you read that again so we can catch all of it? Um, oh yeah, so dude, you read that part like six times. I just wanted to clarify though, because you said courthouse, it was the state legislature. Okay, thank you. Right. Shithole memory. <laughs> my, <laughs> yeah, my memory don't function fully all the time, but I knew. No, I, mean, I, I mean, I, I get it, man. Building, but yeah. But yes, thank you for that. It, it was the state legislature, but yeah, they got pissed because like. How dare a bunch of armed Black Panthers come in here asserting their rights to enter this property that their taxes pay for and speak their piece. So, you know, it was nothing but a bunch of salt. Yeah. Uh, does anybody else want to take a turn reading the next section or you want me to continue? I guess I will. That's fine. Uh, okay. A colossal event had occurred that Huey P. Newton had put in motion. A colossal event had occurred that had significant meaning to the Black Panther Panther Party. Wow, I'm all tongue-tied now. News of the existence of the party went all the way around the world. A few days after we came back from Sacramento, Huey found out that the fact that we went to the Capitol was plastered across the front page of the London Times. Things developed from there. We now had a case where some 24 brothers were charged with uh, conspiracy, $2,200 a bail apiece. When we tried to raise the money at the time, we found that the Black Panther Party was known everywhere. After we brought the brothers home from jail, we went over to the Black House, which had actually been named and established as the San Francisco headquarters of the Black Panther Party. Eldridge Cleaver had named it that, and Huey and I had agreed to it. Black House was where Brother Eldridge had been living. The objective was to get out the Black Panther. Huey and I had been around the Black House all day, that third day after Sacramento, and news reporters were calling us and trying to get us, uh, get in touch with us and calling Eldridge Cleaver. Everyone was trying to vamp in on us to see what was going on. They called all day. <laughs> One call told us that the next morning they wanted us on Channel 7 on the AM program. We agreed to be there. That night we got to lay out the 10 point program and the program for the party newspaper and to lay out the second issue of volume one of the Black Panther, Black Community News Service. We had a lot of things set up to lay out the Black Panther. Emery Douglas, who's now our Minister of Culture, had brought, all, had brought over all of his materials and Huey was explaining to him about revolutionary culture, explaining that the only real culture is revolutionary culture. Huey told him that if he was going to be an artist for the Black Panther Party, he had to relate specifically to the revolutionary culture, to the black people. Emery explained that he related to revolutionary culture. I asked him a couple of uh, questions myself. I remember trying to explain to Emery that culture is basically learned behavior. And what is involved in learned behavior, especially when you speak of black people in a revolutionary culture. The Molotov cocktail had become a significant part of black people's culture. And now Huey P. Newton had brought forth the meaning of guns, organized guns, and force is a significant part of black people's culture. They had to graduate from rocks and bottles and Molotov cocktails, Huey was saying, to a level where they understood the 
proper use of organized guns and force and where they understood what a political party represented when it started to go forth to liberate black people. I was hoping that he understood that the Black Panther Party was concerned specifically with the basic political desires and needs of the people and seeing uh, that those be answered in a revolutionary fashion. The brother was all head shaking and yeses saying, yeah, I can understand it, I can dig it. He just wanted to do some art. So we sat up that night and I sat down myself no, and yeah. laid out the first little Black Panther headline, the truth about Sacramento. Makes sense that he would start there. I mean, that yeah. was, it was already getting headlines and I'm sure there was people, especially, you know, in the leftist kind of counterculture of the late 60s, early 70s, I'm sure a lot of people wanted to hear it from their own words rather than what the corrupt ass media had to say right. about it. Uh, right, their side of the story definitely needed to be told, you know. Anywho. Uh, many people ask us where we got our money from. The power structure has been accusing us of being robbers and thieves. This is not the case. A large portion of our money comes from many groups and people who support us. That includes different sources lawyers groups, church organizations, other types of organizations, and many people who sympathize with the party because they have taken time to read our newspaper. Speaking engagements are another way we get funds. Sometimes we get $500 or $1,000 for speaking, especially when Eldridge, myself, and Kathleen were moving around, but they still are being given to other leaders of the party and these funds help the party function. One of the main sources of funds is the party's newspapers. It is an organ which lumpen proletarian brothers and sisters produce. Eldridge Cleaver is the chief editor of the paper, but the quality and development of that paper has come from the brothers who have previously been in jails, brothers who have previously be just been on the block. Lumpen proletarian, everyday African-American brothers who became politically organized and politically conscious and learned their skills in producing that paper. The brothers in that party don't receive any kind of salary from the Black Panther Party, but for every paper they sell, they keep 10 cents. We give a lot of the young brothers, the little brothers in the community, 10 cents for every paper they sell. Some of the brothers were able to buy themselves bicycles from selling papers. This is very good because it's constructive, it helps them work, and at the same time, it helps the party get correct information about the party to many more people. The paper has the highest circulation yeah. of what are generally called underground newspapers, although we're not really underground. We're very much on top of the ground. Underground is a way to distinguish us from the establishment press. Our circulation is 125,000 copies per week. What? Holy shit. That's crazy. Damn. Damn. Wow. I dig it. Holy <laughs> shit. Right. Say that number again. That's <laughs> huge. Distribution right there. Thousand copies per <laughs> week. God, that's beautiful. Wow, that's a nice number. Right. I kind of wonder how many people they had, you know, like actually doing the production. Because holy shit, how do you pump out numbers like that? I was picturing, you know, two or three dudes with a printer. Right. Press. That's. Anyway. No, they would need a staff of like 20 or 30 working on printing and probably hundreds of the kids out there selling them. Right. Like, right. holy shit. That's crazy. That's beautiful. That's organization. Yeah. The brothers in the party, the paper's staff, 
And all the brothers and sisters who worked to help produce that paper are the ones who deserve credit for seeing to it that the paper consistently moves for gathering the news and for becoming reporters of news in the community where they can serve the people with the truth of what's happening. So it's not a case of some white people behind the scenes putting our paper out or some special Jewish money being the sole source of party's existence. This is not the case at all. We still hear that narrative today. Shit, we still heard that narrative at Occupy. I still ain't never Ooh, seen a fucking Soros right. check. <laughs> Me neither, but that'd be nice. Like, when the fuck's that Soros money coming? Right. Payment. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing where the African-American lumpen proletarian has become the vanguard, and the newspaper in itself is key in teaching the people that the brothers in the community who are revolutionaries, who want revolutionary change, are not about to step back from the power structure, but in fact, the party's gonna go forth and is consistently going forth. Some very tricky methods have been used to try and stop our paper from being published. We received a letter from the Printers Union of America, which stated that since our paper had become of such professional quality, they demanded that we have our print, uh, paper printed and put together in a union printer's shop. We understood that this was part and parcel of FBI and police attempts to try and stop the Black Panther Party news newspaper. Howard Quinn, the place where we print the paper, is a union shop, but the printer's union was referring to the people who laid the paper out, the members of the Black Panther Party. Since we understood the workers, and we understand that we are workers, four or five of the brothers and sisters who actually do the layout of the paper and who are party members joined the printer's union, and that stopped all the noise. In the past, a large nice. number of papers have been stopped and thousands of issues were received soaking wet. This went on for a year off and on. In the process of shipping the papers, the airlines would hold them up in, the, in their freighting operations for a week or two. Jesus. This included American That's Airlines. Yeah, right. This included American Airlines, TWA, and United. And we've got the records to prove it. We also have records of the notices we sent to the airlines saying we were going to sue them for holding our papers up like that and sometimes causing 50 or 60,000 papers not to show up at all or to show up when they couldn't be sold two or three weeks after the date on the paper. There were also numerous attempts to factionalize the workers inside of the Howard Quinn printing company where they roll our paper off the press. Half the workers got on our side and the other half were on the side of the CIA FBI operation. Uh, I don't think they knew the name of it at the time, but they're, they were aware of Co-Intel Pro happening around them. Um, so, you know, it's not like they were in the dark about that. I wanted to just point that out. Anyway, who said they were going to quit Howard Quinn if they didn't stop printing the Black Panther Party paper? The other half, the workers who were on our side, were the ones who run the press downstairs. They were the worker, or they were getting along fine with us because we were helping them make more money. We were running off more papers than any other underground newspaper printed at Quinn's. They said they would quit if Quinn didn't continue printing the Black Panther Party's newspaper. Well, we survived through that and finally um, started sending the papers on a COD basis so as to be able to collect insurance from the airlines. Suddenly, a lot of our papers began to arrive on time, although there are still some cases where they're holding them up. In the past, there were actually cases where the police department would be out at the airport waiting for the particular plane that our papers were coming in on. 
the airlines were checking out the papers and giving them to the police and the police would take our property somewhere and destroy it. It costs about eight cents to produce the paper, but with mailing and shipping costs, it comes out to about 10 cents a paper. The paper sells for 25 cents, uh, but we receive only about five cents from every paper. This money goes back to pay rent on our offices, phone bills, and other expenses. We are very proud of our paper. It comes from the hardcore of the black community, the grassroots. This should let people know that we have a national organ that they can read to keep themselves informed about the Black Panther Party and what's going on in the world in these changing revolutionary times. I'd just like to interject that I, I love that they were actually paying the newspaper delivery boys double what they themselves were collecting to go toward other costs. They're making sure that the people doing the work were getting covered. That's what's up. Well, I mean, they're fucking proletarians, man. We gotta right. take care of each other because nobody else is. Right. Rob, we got some uh, some comments. Oh, do we? Yeah. Damn it. They're they're addressed to you. Otherwise, I would read them. They're addressed to me. Oh yeah, like, like their letters. I mean, trying to have some class about it. Yeah. Get some water. Uh, Trisha, if you want to uh, start picking it back up, uh, now after I read these comments, obviously, Natalie said uh, they were getting the word out with the fist. Jason asked, how can I join this suit, uh, this Zoom I want to let loose for hashtag working class pride? All power to the hashtag proles. Uh, hold on just a second here, Jason. I will be sending you the Zoom meeting ID here shortly. Damn it. Why isn't it letting me copy it? I don't know. Was that it for the comments or did you still? Yeah, that was it for the comments. Okay. The next section is titled Huey Diggs Bob Dylan. Don't blame him. Bob Dylan was a badass motherfucker. Uh, later, we moved to Beverly Axelrod's house to finish the paper. This was about eight or nine blocks south of the Haight-Ashbury district over in San Francisco. It was a nice big house, and we moved over there for room and space and to get things together. We righteously got it together. Eldridge and Barbara Author were pounding out some articles. We called up a white mother country radical photographer, got him together, and asked him to shoot some pictures of Huey because we knew it was necessary for us to try and get a centralized symbol of the leadership of Black people in the Black community. We had to centralize it in some way, so we decided on a picture of Huey. The photographer came over with his cameras and his tripods, and Eldridge set the scene. The photographer took a number of different shots. We got a wicker chair and African shields, and we had a shotgun over there, and Eldridge said, now take the gun and put the spear here. 
he artistically put that picture together that everyone sees of Huey P. Newton sitting in that chair with the shotgun and the spear and the shields sitting on each side of the chair. The shields were very important because Huey was articulating that we use the spear and the shield and the shield is very significant. Huey would say many times that a long, long time ago, there was a man who invented a spear and he frightened a whole lot of people. But Huey said the people invented a shield against the spear. The people weren't so frightened after all. So this is really what Huey P. Newton symbolized with the Black Panther Party. He represented a shield for black people against all the imperialism, the decadence, the aggression, and the racism in this country. That's what Huey P. Newton symbolized with us. That's the way we projected it. The headline of the party paper was The Truth About Sacramento because there were so many lies about the Black Panther Party and the Black Panther Party in Sacramento. Lies by the regular mass media, television and radio with the newspapers, those who thought the Panthers were just a bunch of jive, just a bunch of crazy people with guns. Many and many and Uncle Tom and our backward brainwashed black men had a misconception about the whole thing when you get down to it. While we were laying that paper out in the background, we could hear a record and the song was named Ballad of a Thin Man by, by Bob Dylan. Now the melody was in my mind. I actually heard it. I could hear the melody to this record. I could hear the sound and the beat to it, but I really didn't hear the words. The record played after we stayed up laying out the paper and it played the next night after we stayed up laying out the paper. I think it was around the third afternoon that the record was playing. We played that record over and over and over. Lots of brothers stayed right there with a lot of shotguns for security. It was a righteous security in those days. There wasn't any bullshit. Huey P. Newton made me recognize the lyrics. Not only the lyrics of the record, but what the lyrics meant in the record. What the lyrics meant in the history of racism that has perpetuated itself in this world. Huey would say, listen, listen, man, do you hear what he is saying? Huey said, Huey had such an insight into how racism existed, how racism had perpetuated itself. He had such a way of putting forth in very clear words what he related directly to those symbolic things or words that were coming out of Bobby Dylan. The point about the geek is very important because this is where Huey hung me. I remember that the song got to the point where he was talking about this cat handling his ticket and he walked up to the geek and the geek handed him a bone. Well, this didn't relate to me. So I said, Huey, look, wait a minute, man. I said, what are you talking about a geek? What is a geek? What the hell is a geek? <laughs> and Huey explains it. He says, a geek is usually a circus performer. Maybe he was an experienced trapeze artist who was injured. He's been in the circus all his life and he knows nothing else but circus work. But he can't be a tra trapeze artist anymore because he's been injured very badly but he still needs to live he needs to exist he needs to pay so the circus feels very sorry for him and they give him a job they give him the cruddiest kind of job because he's not really good for anything else they put him into a cage then people pay a quarter to come in to see him they put live chickens into the cage and the geek eats the chickens up while they're still alive the bones the feathers all and of course he has a salary because the audience pays a quarter to see him. He does this because he has to. He doesn't like eating raw meat or feathers, but he does it to survive. But these people who are coming in to see him are coming in for entertainment. So they are the real freaks. 
And the geek knows this. So during his performance, he eats the raw chicken and he hands one of the members of the audience a bone because he realizes that they are the real freaks because they get enjoyment by watching what he's doing because he has to. So that's what a geek and a freak is. Is that clear? Then to put it on the broader level, what Dylan is putting across is middle-class people or upper-class people who sometimes take a Sunday afternoon off and put their whole family into limousine and they go down to black ghettos to watch the prostitutes and watch the decaying community. They do this for pleasure or for Sunday afternoon entertainment. Of course the people are there and they don't want to be there. The prostitutes are there because they're trying to live, trying to exist. They need money. So then that makes the middle class and upper class people who are down there because they get pleasure out of it, freaks. And this goes into the one-eyed midget. What is the one-eyed midget? He screams and howls at Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones doesn't know what's happening. Then the one-eyed midget says, give me some juice or go home. And this again is very symbolic of people who are disadvantaged. They're patronizing Mr. Jones, the middle-class people. You know, they're not interested in them coming down for entertainment. But if they'll pay them for a trick, then they'll tolerate them. Or else they'll drive him out of the ghettos. This song is hell. You've got to understand that this song is saying a hell of a lot about society. The white society and middle-class society are supposed to see that black people will pimp chicks on the block. They come down that way because they looked at black people as freaks. They thought black people were a big freak bag. They thought they all had radio edit all figured out. But black people were not even that word. Black people were not backward and apathetic. Huey says that whites looked at blacks as geeks, as freaks. But what is so symbolic about it is that when the revolution starts, they'll call us geeks because we eat raw meat. But the geek turns around and hands Mr. Jones a naked bone and says, how do you like being a freak? And Mr. Jones says, oh, my God, what the hell's going on? And Bobby Dylan says, you don't know what's happening, do you, Mr. Jones? And to hand him the naked bone was too much, was really too much. Eldridge Cleaver explains in Soul on Ice that the black man has been led around by the white man, the white omnipotent administrator primarily, big businessmen who manipulate and bullshit and control the government. The black man has been led around and projected as being led around and with a little piece of string, cord string, that could be broken in a minute. The string was tied around the black man's neck and the black man was projected as a big gorilla. He was a gorilla, he was inhuman, he couldn't talk, he's not supposed to be able to think, but the gorilla beats on his chest and says, I'm a man. One of the symbolic things that Eldridge was pointing out with this thing was that Cassius Clay had said, I'm the greatest. The symbolic thing of him beating on his chest. He said, in fact, I'm a man. He said, I'm a strong man. What shocked the racist, what shocked the omnipotent administrator is that he looked up at the big gorilla. The string had been broken and he saw this gorilla beating on his chest saying, I'm a man. That was Cassius Clay. Cassius Clay would brag. People misunderstood the bragging. All Cassius Clay was saying was that he was defying all this omnipotent racist bullshit by stepping forward and saying, I'm the greatest. I can't be hit. He beat on his chest. And when he said that, the white racist omnipotent administrator who had a hold on the string had to ask himself, well, if he's a man, then what the hell am I? And that's what Bobby Dylan meant by the geek handing Mr. Jones the naked bone and saying, how do you like being a freak? And that's the whole meaning of the question. 
if he's a man, if he's not a freak, and he tells Mr. Jones that he's a freak, then Mr. Jones has to ask, am I that? That's symbolic of saying that if he's a man, what am I? This song Bobby Dylan was singing became a very big part of that whole publishing operation of the Black Panther paper. And in the background, while we were putting this paper out, this record came up, and I guess a number of papers were published, and many times we would play that record. Brother Stokely Carmichael also liked that record. This record became so related to us, even to the brothers who had held down most of the security for the set. The brothers had some big earphones over at Beverly's house that would sit on your ears and had a kind of direct stereo atmosphere. And when you got loaded, it was something else. These brothers would get halfway high, loaded on something, and they would sit down and play this record over and over, especially after they began to hear Huey P. Newton interpret that record. They'd be trying to relate an understanding about what was going on because old Bobby did society a big favor when he made that particular sound. If there's any more he made that I don't understand, I'll just ask Huey P. Newton to interpret them for us. And maybe we can get a hell of a lot more out of brother Bobby Dylan because old Bobby, he did a good job on that set. That's fucking beautiful. I, I love how Huey interpreted that. Of like, um, this is what he's really talking about. By yeah. the way, welcome, Jason. So, uh, while I went and let the dogs out, I was in the comments, and I saw a new name, right? So I was all like, welcome. And it turns out that the new name is Austin Patton backwards. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, Austin. I saw that, too. <laughs> Well, and I got the I hope, I hope you're feeling better. It was just like showing this much of his face. And I'm like, wait a minute, I know those eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Saw that it was his name backwards. Yeah, anyway, right. Austin, I'm glad that you were able to at least, you know, jump in the comments for a little bit. We miss you and hopefully right. you're feeling better. We do. Anyway, um, Jason, if you want to introduce yourself since you jumped on in here. Uh, your mic's still on mute, Jay. Okay, there we go. Uh, greetings, comrades. Uh, hail the immortal uh, comrade Stalin, Lenin, Engels, and Marx. I just want to say that from the start. Uh, <clears throat> I like your the vigor, the enthusiasm. Uh, the modern leftist and Marxist movement. Thank you. Oh, did we lose him? We might have lost him. He was cutting out there pretty good. Yeah, that, there was a little bit of lag going on. Yeah. That's okay. I love y'all's enthusiasm. I'm in Central Texas, and uh, we're very uh, isolated in our revolutionary and socialist views in this area. Mostly around uh, Austin, Texas, 
in San Marcos, Texas. A great community of collective farms, a great community for mutual aid, a great community for protecting large I think we lost him again. Um, but actually, speaking of uh, Austin, Texas, I keep forgetting we need to reach back out to uh, I'm back. I'm back. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Um, I was actually just uh, gonna remind everybody that the first guest we ever had on this podcast was um, a guy from Cooperation Denton, uh, yep. which is also in Texas, as I'm sure you're aware. Uh, he was doing a lot of good work at that time, trying to make sure that everybody stayed good going through that ice storm and stuff, you know, making sure people had food, water. Uh, hey, you know what? I got complete solar power out here on my farm. I got well water. I don't rely on any of our fucking oh, yeah. fascist big all I heard was fucking fascist, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> you got the point across. <laughs> yeah, we had a pretty in-depth conversation about how fucked the energy system is there. And I, I would have never even fucking realized. I don't rely on any of that bullshit. I've got my own chickens. I've got my own livestock. I've got my own goats. I make my own cheese. Fuck this bullshit. Fuck I share yeah. with my neighbors. <laughs> I do everything as a responsible, moral human. That is where the center lies. I do not feel that, and I believe honestly that the neoliberals who are gaining more and more power in this country are able to more easily influence the more new liberals that are coming up in university to make them accept it appears that we have lost him again he is back yeah I mean um... this is becoming very fun <laughs> disconnecting I mean uh, it's just a uh, What's going on? Normally, I don't have issues like this. Um, in my personal opinion, I think in our modern era, where we're at, of course, right now, is that we're emphasizing and focusing a bit too much on the neoliberal creation of race, gender, where what we should be concerned with, hey, you're in the same class, brothers, sisters, comrades. Whenever I hear, I, I totally respect black. Uh, Natalie asked how Brandon's mutual aid group is doing now. And uh, that's what I was saying. We need to. Uh, I'm just going to shut up and let someone else talk because I keep disconnecting. Fair enough. 
Sorry, like, um, yeah, I mean, we want to hear what you're saying. What is coming through is great. And the, the signal keeps long enough to say anything worthwhile. So y'all are lovely. Keep doing what you're doing. The immortal comrade Huey P. Newton very close to his heart. Just dips, just dips him out. I don't know. Um, I've thought about this a lot. Um, differences in race is as old as race. And he's coming back. Damn it. Uh, hi, Austin. We haven't seen your smiling bearded face in a while. Welcome back. <laughs> it's good to be back. I still can't find my phone. And once I do, I will be a part of everything again, I swear. <laughs> so. Hi. Just keep picking up. I really apologize. I'm in a very rural area. Uh, but the other guy that you don't recognize in here is uh, Shadid. He's a comrade from Occupy Flint. Oh, cool. It's always nice to meet, uh, you know, one, a fellow comrade, especially from Occupy Flint. The ones I have men are kick-ass, so. Hell yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Nah, of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm dropping too much. Y'all take, take back over. I'm, I'm dropping too much. Just pissing me off. <laughs> I'm really simple till I die. class, right? Came up as a union, union carpenter. We should try to set up something with you. Let me uh, you know, like uh, we can like give you a list of questions, or you can give us something that you want aired, or something like that. You know, just pre-record it, and then we'll pre-record it, on it. Our stream. Absolutely. Then we can hear the full content of what you have to say because um, what Natalie, is coming through Natalie is just great. put a whole bunch of thumbs up but, to that. <laughs> right? <laughs> but yeah, we all want to hear what, you say, what you're saying because what we can hear, we're like, fuck yeah. But, right. you know. Thank you. We are all about amplifying the voices um, of comrades. Yeah, right. I think you could go harder. I mean, I, I think we could, could too, but we just, I don't know. We've kind of been testing the waters with it, but I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> right. Is, I mean, a, a huge part of our goal here is educating people about leftist history, because that is one of the biggest things that has radicalized us. And we don't want to scare people away just coming at them full fucking force, but it's one of those things that like we really need to wake people up to. 
of the incremental problems that are inherent in capitalism and why we need to change the system. And for that, we need to radicalize. Really? Yeah, it was built okay. into it. It was built into it. Yeah, capitalism was built to fuck people. Yes. <laughs> I think was- it's slow. I don't think there's anything incre- incremental about it. I think it's it's at its zenith right now. I'm maybe you misunderstood what I meant there. I meant the the fucking of people being incremental to capitalism and how it works of like that's that's inherent to how that system works is literally to capitalize means you are taking advantage exploiting someone else's labor and skills and time so it's inherent to capitalism to be built to fuck people in that fucking manner because that's the only way that it exists (laughs) yeah that's part of it that's the that's the whole point of its design yes and people are born into poverty Right. And structurally kept there. Yeah. Which also goes back to systemic racism in many facets. And that also ties into the systemic classism. Motherfuckers want to talk about pull yourself up from your bootstraps, but how are you going to do that when you don't have fucking boots, let alone straps? I'm just walking, guys. Yeah, we're losing you again, Jay. Here's my boots right here. But I wore work boots and strapped <laughs> them motherfuckers on my feet for fucking 30 fucking years. And now I'm a happy collective farmer. I love it. I walk around, smoke up. weed all day, take care of my chickens, my tomatoes. That, that kind of um, self-sustainability. God bless Texas. By God, I mean myself. Right? <laughs> Fucking A, man. Ain't that the truth? That's one thing a lot of people miss, too, in the message of literally every religion that's ever existed is to invoke the divine within. Just going to point that one out there. Religion is fascism. Yes. Yes, that misses the entire point of the spiritual facets that were built into it and the metaphorical lessons. And it all comes down to how do you choose to happen to the fucking world around you? And are you going to feed the good or feed the bad that is within you? Your choice. Most of those did you know feed themselves. That the only reason that Vatican City is a city state is because of fucking Mussolini. Yep. I did not know that, but I'm not even remotely surprised. Say, I say tax all the churches. <laughs> fucking A. I agree. Absolutely. Because look at all the money. And I'm not talking about your small town little churches that are barely getting enough money coming in to cover their lights. I'm talking about like mega churches, these fucking TV churches, especially these motherfuckers are raking in billions that they pay no taxes on. There's no fucking excuse for pastors like Joel Osteen and shit to be living in. That is a goddamn complex. Right. Yeah. Uh, 
when Creflo Dollar is out there fucking hollering about how he's already got a jet, but God told me he needs a new jet, so give me some money to get a new jet. I need to update my shit. Fuck you, Creflo Dollar. Fuck you, Benny Hinn, with your fucking $5,000 a night hotel rooms being paid for by people's donations to your so-called church. That shit needs to be taxed. It's a business not a fucking like spiritual outreach. They're not doing fucking community outreach. Fuck those guys. <laughs> no, don't give back. Like, right? Like the oh, whole point of them being tax money. free. Yep. The whole point of allowing them to be tax free was so they could afford <laughs> to do things like giving food and shelter and clothing to the poor. How often do you see any? of those people that we are referring to there doing any of that kind of work. They, they go by the trickle down economics, so. <laughs> right, pissing on your head and telling you it's raining. Yeah, yep. But isn't there a, a separation of uh, state and church thing going? Supposed to be, supposed to be. Right, yep. That's totally going on right now. They're totally separating. <laughs> well, yeah, it's supposed to be separation. Uh, but I think the moment that the church files a 501c3, you have just contracted with the state. And another word for contracting, you just become married to the state. So therefore, mm-hmm. there is no separation between church and state. Right. And, no. you know, the state is kind of empowering these guys, you know, in a way. Yeah, right. They also have a very fascinating state religion in the United States. Oh, it's uniform worship. I'm curious. Yeah, right. The 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 (laughs) way not there. Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, well, I guess where do I start? I guess it would start with like the way that modern Americans worship the flag. No other country on the planet does that. And it, it's strange. It's so strange. There's been a couple in Germany. There's been a couple, but they're always on the wrong side of history, guys. I mean, right. I mean what gets the me... bad guys? Those the bad guys in the Indiana Jones movies and shit. <laughs> what gets me is we make, we make our children say uh, the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Yep, yeah, yep. that's some indoctrinating shit, dude. And then we also we also build monuments to to former presidents that are like blatantly pagan neoliberal imperialists. Yeah. Okay, uh, so like, let me just say something about indigenous indigenous sovereignty real quick. Okay, we took the Black Hills, which were sacred, right, and then we carved fucking white guys into them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. American audacity. I mean, shit. We fucking gave them blankets filled with uh, smallpox, like we were doing something good. But you know, we knew, and we were killing them on purpose. So, right. It was this genocide. country was exactly this country was founded on the genocide of one complete race and the enslavement yeah. of <gasps> another complete race. Well, you know, I I, I want to go back. And I do find it very interesting about the religious part of it and the state, you know, having a religion and people like uh, the dogma flags. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that shit is kind of deep when you think about it. <laughs> well, they they literally warped kids' minds. I think we're eventually starting to wake up now and realize that that shit is totally <laughs> fucked, you know? So... Yeah. Right, trying to induce to being flag worshippers and bootlickers. I mean, you know, that, that's that. crazy because it was just recently an issue uh, uh, with the sports and all that. Uh, mm-hmm. Them not uh, kneeling to uh, what was it, the what do you call it? I'm sorry, I just national anthem. Yeah, the national. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yeah, but like when Trump had his rebuttal about it, for some reason he always mentioned like the flag, like this word flag always came into play. Yeah, they're disrespecting the flag because it's an emotional trigger. Right, right. And it's like he's almost like he's a reinforcer of like the state religion. You know what I mean? Like he's one of their fucking preachers. He's going to get the people minds. Do you remember that time he made out with the flag? He was like hugging it and shit and stuff. He gave it, he gave it more love than he's given any of his children. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. You know, I want to know what my absolute way. favorite moment of Trump as president was when his dumbass looked directly in an eclipse. When he shit himself. <laughs> that was probably the best part. Well, the most fucked up moments was oh. when he uh, gassed all those people just so he could hold a fucking Bible so he could have that fucking picture. Remember yeah. that? Oh my oh God. God. Yeah. Right. Hey, Holding up the Bible. My favorite. There are protesters out there. What? So what they did was they gassed, off, gassed them. They shot him with rubber bullets so they'd get the fuck out of the way. So he could <laughs> take, take a picture with the Bible. Well, he ended up holding the Bible upside down as well. So, I mean, oh, wow. the guy is, uh, isn't is all there. So, you know. But still, he, that's, that, that's what they did to get them to get the fuck out of the way. You know? No. So, I, I'm, yeah, Biden probably do the same thing, but that's my opinion. What? Of course he would. Yeah, right? <laughs> Man, okay, so, like, what happened that last year, like, there was millions of liberals in the streets for Black Lives Matter, and then now this shit is still going on because, of course, it is. Yeah. But right. nobody, I mean, not nobody, obviously, we, we very much... Uh, try to amplify the people that still are in the streets, but we have only comrades out there now. Yeah, and I mean, like, what happened to the millions of fucking liberals that were in the streets last year? It was a, it was a fucking what, trend. Biden won, so they went back to fucking sleep. Like, yep. Mm-hmm. Is that the all? Is that a serious question? Bill? Right. It's like I, I mean, no, it's that... a rhetorical question, but God damn it, man. <laughs> well, it's like we were discussing the other day. Of, I'm sorry. You know, motherfuckers I'm sorry. I acting apologize. like I don't mean to be disrespectful. All... Oh no, it's it's cool. You know, we we actually fucking speak a lot of sarcasm around here and shit too. So sometimes shit comes out of our mouths just like that. But um, with the Chauvin trial being, you know, going on, they it's like they thought that oh, the problem's solved now because this one cop's on fucking trial. Like well, because we got justice for George Floyd, that's not justice. That's accountability. I fucking in one case. I fucking right. told you. I said it when they put him on trial 
As soon as they announced the trial, I said it. It's going to be white cop Jesus sacrificed for all his buddy's sins so that people don't riot no more. What I fucking tell you. You're right. You're right. It's it's like, no, before we even... Go ahead, Shetty. I was just uh, thinking out loud about the white Jesus cop die for all his people see it. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Like, ain't that some shit? But that really paints the picture well. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. You didn't know, you didn't know that Jesus is white? Damn. I'm sorry, the description says... Yeah, right. Even in the Bible, says curly, dark hair, and... Yes. Like this was about. Wait a minute. What? He was Jewish. I can literally <laughs> look on the inter- internet right now and I can determine to myself that Jesus was white. <laughs> That's all a joke, of course. That's a joke. Just joking. Right. Just joking. I know and the truth. I, I agree like with you. It's very good. I, I like being around like minded people where we know what, what we mean, even when we're sarcastic. It's nice. Right. 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 Not everybody picks up on it. Some people will be like, what the fuck? And it's like, dude, sarcasm. <laughs> I well, I personally believe uh, the whole all proles should be completely armed, and especially black folks, and say fuck it. Fucking a. Anybody mind if uh, anybody else want a vodka and soda? Want to make? Hey, one? look, you want I, one? I found the white Jesus. He's right here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all you had to do was loosen man. the hair. <laughs> hey. hey <man>. <laughs> <laughs> He just wasn't a, 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 snap, a snappy-ass ginger. Yeah. <laughs> That's Jesus. He wasn't That's a dinosaur. Jesus. Jesus rode dinosaur. Right? Listen, nowhere With laser in the Bible, cannons on. Nowhere in the Bible does it say specifically that Jesus was not a velociraptor. <laughs> I've, I've read the entire thing multiple times, and I can confirm without a fact. Or with, well, <laughs> <laughs> now you said it right the first time. <laughs> oh fuck! Remember well, that I mean, background Russian standard vodka. Oh. oh shit! Remember that background Dean had of Biden riding those uh, Velociraptors or whatever it was, <laughs> the dinosaurs. I do. I do. <laughs> Oh, Man, I want to show you guys. Great. I got to show you guys. I told Lord Sterling that I was going to use this background from now on when we do the the um zero uh, sugar the current the current events streams, and I was just going to argue with you. Oh my god! <laughs> it's actually oh a picture god. of me. Look, look. There's little me, child oh soldier me. Yeah, that's an in and out burger cup because that's Dear how God. we roll around here. Dear God. Jason, I just have to say I salute the dress shirt and no pants. That's fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, wearing, I'm wearing pants. I'm wearing pants. Oh, it looks like you didn't have no pants. Yeah, it looks like you weren't wearing pants. <laughs> I, I just okay. wasn't going to say okay. anything. I was going to be polite about it. Man's in his own just... house. If he doesn't want to wear pants. That's a, uh, uh, this, this shirt is, a, this shirt is not a dress shirt. It's a work shirt. It's a very light material. And it's very hot here in Texas. 
and it kind of makes me feel kind of fluid and cool and nice and it's real light and it dries real quickly and you know people oh, are yeah. like why do you wear all those shirts all the time jason and i'm like why the fuck is it any of your fucking business what i'm wearing i i, right. I don't True. say that to my neighbors but i wonder that when they're staring at me while i'm working out because i wear like <laughs> Ooh, here we go here we go or like my kilt work out in my kilt a lot and mind you, when Don says I'm out in the yard working out, he's got a quad head fucking mace. That he's out there swinging like a goddamn Viking. <laughs> I'm sure I look like some sort of psychopath. All right, let me turn some lights on in here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A little dark, so I figure out. I couldn't see you. I'm blind. I'm old and I'm blind. So, you know, let's call it what it is. Indeed. Hell yeah. Indeed. So, uh, so, go ahead. We're all very high and drunk around here. What's going on? <laughs> well, sparking a bull back up. I'll smoke to that. I can't smoke yet. Too. That's what I'm saying. I'm afraid to talk a whole lot because I, I get shut off. So, I would love to talk more, but. I think it's a uh, maybe not. Thankfully, your audio is a lot better now. Last past ten to fifteen. Maybe, maybe I just needed to turn the lights on. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I, like to to uh, I get fluctuating electricity out here because uh, it's all hundred percent solar, you know. And I have the three of the Tesla walls, and then they don't always allocate electricity as needed you know sometimes so i hey look look i fixed it guys i turned the lights on okay yay me uh here's what i really want to get after for y'all okay i'm just gonna fucking break it down to you all right i was raised very poor on a farm and we had several very bad years i went to a very rural school I wasn't the best student. I was pretty smart, but I wasn't nothing in it out of that book learning. You know, I was tall and fast, but not fast enough for college. So, you know, hey, hey, go join the Navy, boy. That's what I did. And uh, afterwards, uh, you know what I did? I decided to go back to that small little rural town became a carpenter and beat up my fucking body for 20 years, even as a union carpenter. I mean, as Big Bill, Big Bill Haywood said, you know, I haven't read marks, but I got the marks of capital all over my fucking body. You know, I'll have red marks. And you know what? I got a definite fucking marks of capital all over my body. Carpal tunnel syndrome, tinnitus. Fuck, my knees are fucked broken wrists over and over, just sacrificing my body for the wage. Just chasing that fucking wage, wanting like a, a boat. Oh, I gotta have me an ATV. So cool. Let me get the, the newest Ford F-150 FX4, four-wheel drive, silver, leather interior. You know what? All that shit just fucking sickens the fuck out of me now. These fucking bourgeoisie, right now make me literally want to 
vomit 24-7 every second of the fucking day. This worship was not just something that just happened. We were conditioned into it. I'm sure you all are familiar with the word propaganda. Okay? United States is the most propagandized country in the fucking world, man. My friend, he's he's from China. Okay? And he and he was he was like, "Why do y'all watch news here?" I was like, "Well, personally, I don't." He's like, "It seems like everybody else does." In China, we don't watch the news because we know it's fucking state propaganda. That's where this needs to start. We can go around and we can organize and we can march and we can go rah, 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 working class pride. Oh, let's talk about communism. But we can't say socialism or communism because it scares people. Okay. Well, you know, you're that's right. That does scare people. Because they went through the Red Scare. I grew up in the Red Scare. We thought communism was horrible. 13 trillion people died in the whole of Madoba Labor You know? Bullshit. <laughs> They've been withhold. Yep. They, they, they didn't teach us the truth in school. It's horseshit. We are propagandized here. Big time. Everything that it has happening right now, and what I'm hearing from y'all is is like talking points from uh, propaganda media. Okay, and I, I'm sorry if I'm being offensive. I'm just a fucking very honest and straightforward person. Okay, um, for me, becoming radicalized, it happened naturally. And I came upon class consciousness and understanding of socialism morally before I read anything. Same. Uh, Currently, we have a lot of leftists and a lot of socialists, or as I call them, like bread tubers, right? They're anarcho or anarcho-communists. They read some Kropotkin, and he's a very witty fellow, and his participation and creation of the Paris Commune was fantastic. But his writing is very dry, and it's just more like anarcho-do-nothing, sit out in the field, smoke weed, and stick corn cobs in your ass kind of thing, you know? Now, now that's not a shot against uh, anarchists at all. Um, but the writing is just that way. And I may be being a little bit too bit, bit too liberal on the on the sarcasm on that, but you know it is what it is. Uh, currently, the most important thing of you young folks doing to organize and radicalize your generation is trying to push people towards class consciousness. It cannot be taught. You cannot read enough Marx. You cannot read enough Lenin. You cannot read Stalin and all of a sudden be fucking class conscious. These evidences of injustice, racial injustice, class injustice has has to be addressed. I see all this rhetoric just on and on and on and on. And all these just this and that. 
as soon as you can push people towards true class consciousness, then victory will be had for worldwide socialism and gay space communism. Fully automated gay space communism. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't write that. That was just totally improvised. Oh. Uh, so, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are we talking about gay space communes? Yeah, well, that's, that's kind where of you're like, going to find the space goats. That's kind of a meme, you know, where, yeah. um, you know, Lenin, Lenin legalized uh, um, transgender and homosexuality in the Soviet Union. He recognized that they were not apart from a class. They were people who deserved human rights, who were absolutely included in being a worker for the good of the people and the state. Right. He did that in 19 fucking 18, man. And here we are a hundred fucking years later and we don't have a brilliant, experienced, old fucking crusty, salty motherfucker who's just going to grab some fucking people by the balls and go, what the fuck are y'all doing, man? All the rhetoric means nothing. Nothing. What matters is direct action. There's a reason that that term was very popular in the 20s and the 30s. Direct action. It was very pop. It was very popular here in the United States in the midst of the Great Depression, mass labor strikes, mass fucking homelessness, mass unemployment. Guess what? You know what happened? Huh. Damn it. Did we lose him? He's back. Sorry for the drop there. Uh, hello? Yep. We can yeah. hear you again now. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, sorry about that. There you are. Uh, the whole reason that the whole reason that uh, Roosevelt was able to get the New Deal in place is because he got the capitalists concede to concede that without this New Deal, the United States was going to collapse and capitalism or communism wasn't going to prevail. And the capitalists conceded, and we got the New Deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, and for that matter, it's important to point out that the New Deal was a bunch of liberal reforms that were stripped away over time. How much of the New Deal still stands today? Let's be real about it. Like it was? Right. Not much at all. Oh, hello. Sorry about that. Go ahead. Somebody else take the mic. I'll go on for three, four, five fucking hours, man. Just please, <laughs> someone intervene. Please, We're someone intervene take, here. Uh, Social Security away from us as is. I mean, that was one of the biggest parts of the uh, the New Deal, you know? And how long has it been since they've gotten a proper cost of living increase? Uh, well, the last time, 725, it's been, what, 11 years now? I think that's when they, 11 years ago, 12 years ago, they raised it to 725. I mean, and the, even then it wasn't a living wage. 
Well, right. So, I thought we were talking about Social Security. But yeah, I mean, oh, the minimum Security? wage, if, if you look at like, I forget what year it was, but at some point in the 60s, the minimum wage was six silver quarters or $1.50 an hour, right? Look at the fucking value of, look at the buying power is what I'm trying to say of that $1.50 at the time. And then look at the buying power of $7.25 now and tell me it's enough. No, it's right. it's lower than what it was at a, a buck fifty, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I mean imagine it, to put it in today's dollars. Imagine, if you will, that you had an ounce and a half of silver per hour. Yeah, that's a lot, a lot more than seven twenty-five. Right. I would, I would like to be paid in that much. <laughs> right. Silver. I want to see somebody use that when they go for a job interview and they ask, you know, like, so what type of wage are you expecting? I would like an ounce and a half of silver an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not mistaken. Uh, Jake, you have to pay him in gold or coins. Y'all know what I'm talking about the solar guy, Jake. I'm sorry. I, it's I, hard I, to hear oh, you. Oh. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. So doesn't Jay get paid like that? Doesn't he uh, demand that you either pay him in coin, gold, or silver? He will not take American money or checks? Yeah, if he's still yeah. doing that, I mean, I'm sure he is. What am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> right. <clears throat> our, our money yep. also he used to be based on the gold standard. Right. So... Now it's uh, based on oil. All right, petrodollar. There's no more gold left in reserve to cover any of that. Ain't been no. for years. No. And well, reserve, then baby. we got to factor in, right? We got to factor in that that Federal Reserve is no longer federal. It's you know, no longer. It never was. Way. And no, a lot of people are unaware. Or well, I, I. I, I guess I should fix how I said that. It, it is, no, the entire system as far as the production of money is no longer governed by the actual government and by the people. It had been prior to the Federal Reserve coming into existence and taking over that. But the Federal Reserve is not federal at all. It is a fucking privately owned bank. It's not that, a constitutional authority either. Only the Treasury right. can mint money. Right. But the killer oh, let part her go, is... Let her go. Let her go on this. Every... Every fucking dollar that they print or, you know, digitally produce to put, you know, add some zeros to this bank's fucking money. Every fucking dollar comes preloaded with interest. So think about this. There's never going to be as much money in circulation in existence as what is owed back. When, when why, that do you, why do you think the Republicans and the fascists in general hyper-focus on the national debt. You don't have to say Republicans or Democrats. You can just say fascists. Right. You're right. Covers them all. (laughs) Covers them all. Um, And it's because that is built solely for a few hands to directly profiteer off of literally every fucking drop of money that is in our entire financial system. Blood. Blood. Blood of the proletariat blood of the working class yep that's They're what bleeding you dry american dollar is based on 
period. This is a nifty thing I learned from Jason, uh, the other Jason we were referring to a moment ago that only receives pay in actual gold or silver coins. Um, he had pointed out um, that, God, where did it go now? My, my, I had a brain fart. I'm sorry. That just, smoke another one. It disappeared into the ether. It'll come back. <laughs> What's that? Yes, my brain's glitches. <laughs> um, shit, where did that thought go? Somebody else take it. It'll come back to me. Um, it was something that came to mind because of what you said about the blood. Smoke another one, Trisha. I'll smoke one with you. Okay, let's do that. Maybe, maybe that'll draw the thought back. Um, there's no structure. You just—it's all fluid, baby. Just do do and right. say what you want. You're my sister. You're my comrade, comrada. Forever. Do as you wish. Indeed. No one well, is I'm judging you. Right. Everybody here, well, most everybody here knows I've, I get brain farts like that all the time. Close head injury. Um, I didn't even think about it for a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, with, uh, with the shit that's going on as far as monetary system in this fucking country, it, it, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about getting fucked being inherently built into capitalism. Um, that entire structure from the from the start exists solely to keep you perpetually indebted. Oh, here's the thought that came back. Okay, when you get a fucking um, social security number, you are literally registering yourself as basically an indentured servant of the fucking state, and they can thereby take loans out against what they anticipate you to produce in wealth during your fucking lifetime. That's fucked. Well, I'm glad I am not going to meet those uh, numbers, so... Hey, newsflash. The billionaires and the bourgeoisie look at us like farm animals. They farm us. Oh, and yeah. they perfected it. Yeah, They're dude, so good at it. Live in an open air They're prison. so good at it that when I say it, everybody's mind's blown. Oh, hey. No, I, I've always said that. Number is literally your chattel number. I've I've always said that the new money is very people. very good, Zen motherfucker. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's our brand. That's our brand. Number four three two seven two seven four seven K seven. Yep, you are now this number. You are not no, even a person. You're not a person recognized in this country unless you have your number. Yeah, it's also a mental construct, and and it's it's like a program. Like, just think about this concept. You can't have a number. They're not tangible things. There's something that's constructed in the mind, but you can't grab it and put it in your pocket. You can't pass it to your friend. It's something that can only be known. And technically, 
or realistically, we can never have numbers. We can never possess them. Numbers is, is like a mental company. We can only know numbers, but we can't have them. And when they trick us into thinking we can, I think, you know, that needs to be defeated. Like there's a certain fucking belief system that we're programmed with that turns us into the fucking farm animals that you speak of. We just give them free range. We haven't been turned right. into farm animals. We were born into it. Born into it? Okay. But uh, you're not born like that, are you? Or do you have to be programmed? Well, according to the current class system that we have, yeah, we're absolutely born into abject poverty. I think it's both. I think uh, what, what you're saying is correct and what he's saying is also correct. Uh, we are born into the class system that we uh, are obviously born into, but we're manipulated from birth to believe in those class systems. Because right. truly, there are don't... no class systems. There's no fucking thing mm-hmm. as money. We have and the power they... because we are the, the many. If they don't indoctrinate you into that line of thought, then they can't get you to stay in line and keep participating. That's a thing. Being born into it is enough. You have to be indoctrinated. You have to be trained of this is how shit works and this is your fucking role. Because you you weren't conditioned. Our role role is as a slave to the wage masters. Yeah, but we don't have to be that. If we weren't trained well, to be absolutely. that, we wouldn't have to be that. So, hey, Shadid, is hey. that a mem- is that a memory foam mattress you're laying on? I have no idea. Okay, because it looks comfy it looks as like shit. It. And you no, were sitting there for a while. You were sitting there for a while, and I just thought maybe that's like a, a, a his uh, avatar or something. And you weren't <laughs> moving, and then all of a sudden you moved. I was like, oh, that's not an avatar, man. He's just laying on a fucking mattress, chilling. So I was right. like, man, that looks like a comfy ass fucking mattress if you don't move for like 10 minutes. That's just I, I my opinion. And uh, Austin, um, you're absolutely correct on that. Um, the weirdest thing, it's, it's, it's like this, man. I can't really, I can't make y'all get like absolutely class conscious. It has to happen naturally. Uh, uh, Zen, I don't know your real name. You're Trisha. like right there, huh? Trisha, what? My, Trisha, my okay. name is Trisha. Uh, yep. Trisha, fantastic. I'm Jason, by the way. Um, you're right there. Pleasure to meet you. And you're you're just uh, you're right there and you're ready to go out and start punching fucking cops and fascists in the dick, which is fantastic. Well, I'm hoping um, that that dude that bought that ticket pushes Jeff Bezos out as fucking uh, as spacecraft. So, <laughs> hey, look, you're worried about Jeff Bezos going to space? I'm worried about no, I'm Jeff worried Bezos about... having fucking two hundred billion fucking dollars, man. Like, I'm not worried about Jeff Bezos at all. What I'm worried about is the people that he employs. That's where my worry. Right. Here's the thing. Workers have all the power. And the sooner they realize realize that, that, the better. All they have to do is organize together and say, fuck you. 
Um, yeah, no. There's a reason Jeff Bezos has has accumulated that amount of wealth. Okay, it's partly because the workers have refused to organize and unionize. Okay. Yesterday, the Teamsters are announced that they're going hardcore to organize every Amazon employee in the United States. Fuck yeah. Then they will have bargaining power against Amazon. And Jeff Bezos won't keep doubling his wealth every three months. Because the wages will reflect that as workers. He could set, he could set, a, he could set a precedent by allowing it. And paying his employees a fucking unbelievable rate. He's literally he like Bat Batman right now. He can end world hunger. I learned he can end uh, all homelessness for 30 fucking years. For I learned 10% recently, of his wealth. He could have paid every employee $105,000 with the money he made in the eight months at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, I think that's bullshit. I think it's way more than that. I think it's more than that too, but I don't know how many employees he has. I think it's probably like four or five million dollars. The second largest employees in the United States. I think it's four or five million dollars. I think that he is smart enough and and is has good enough people around him that he can introduce propaganda like that to make himself not look like a fucking goddamn exploitative parasite. Amazon. I hope they get that union because that will start a precedent for other people places like walmart and places like that to get unions in there too but they i used to work for walmart and they literally showed us anti-union videos so i know this is like lagging. they showed Amazon. i know i know the the video on facebook lags behind but i want to interject to what was just being talked about a minute ago jeff bezos what the statistic was is that he could have paid all of his employees one hundred and five thousand dollars a year um with the money that he that he had from the that he made off the first like six or eight months of the pandemic and still be the richest yeah. in the world. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. I I knew there was another oh. part of it. Anyway though, we um well, we got really off uh, topic, which is cool because I really dug this conversation. Oh, sorry, sorry. That's probably my fault. Man. I'm sorry. No, it's, man. Okay. no it's, cool. it's cool. It's cool. It's actually not really off topic because we are specifically bringing to the table the dialectical materialism that is inherent oh, there you go. to, you know, Let's everything talk about that we that. need to do to fix this fucking situation. And that is a core part of this series on dialectical materialism and the black panther party it's part of those rooting foundations so to be able to bring it into the present is not off track at all this is fucking beautiful well, right, conversation right. Gone. We need but the point is though is that we're over two hours and we usually try to keep these about 90 minutes oh he gotta go poop or something uh... probably <laughs> Now we can talk plenty long enough for him to go take a shit and make it back. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't mind. I, I like but, I talk about this shit all day, every fucking day. Right? I walk up to somebody. First of all, I don't shop at Walmart for my morals from my moral sense. Uh, but if I did, I would walk up to every motherfucker in there, and I would explain to them their class role. In this stupid, broken, fucking economic system that we have. Yeah. 
And I know I annoy people, but I don't fucking give a fuck. <laughs> we used to have. And anybody that shops at Walmart, fuck you too. And fuck your mother if she shops there too. Hey, I, I do shop Very at Walmart, much. and my, my wife works at Walmart, so. Well, she should quit. Thank you. Well, I wish we they could. Don't treat, they don't treat women worth a shit there. They don't oh, get any fucking workers' rights. They don't oh, respect you. All they care about is profit. That's it. It's but like a literal McDonald's we, for Chinese shit and bad food. We live in a dying town. And Walmart's one of the reasons it's a dying town. But the best job you yes. can find in this town yes. is Walmart. I would rather there be no They've trapped you. They've trapped yeah, of course. you. Of course they have. That's their fucking goal. You know what I mean? Right. Don't be mad That's at me. Don't be mad at me because Walmart trapped your town. I'm I'm not mad at you. It trapped it before I was even aged to do anything about it. So No, everybody's mad at me. I'm not mad, mad at you. I don't even know you. Nah, but we're care. definitely mad at the fucking Walton family because how fucking yeah. dare they rake in all uh, right, if I remember correct, wasn't it like eighty something thousand dollars an hour each? They or was make it more than that. Hey, uh, I've seen this video about uh, Walmart's uh, super fleet of fucking ships. Have you, are you guys aware of like <laughs> Walmart's no. got a navy? <laughs> I mean, Listen, how fucking bro, American! They have some of the fastest. Biggest Let's hear shit about on this Walmart, Walmart navy, man. Yeah. They have some like serious robotic uh, crane systems going on. Like they have one of the most efficient shits on earth right now. According to this video, maybe it's old or outdated now, but I was just shocked. <laughs> like, Loading each, trucks with robots. Each employee on average makes Walmart $267,000 a year. The average employee is only paid $11 an hour. So that's around $20,000 a year they get paid. So, see, what the people who work for Walmart need to do is unionize and seize the motherfucking means because there's no excuse for the Waltons making that money. What they need to do is take possession of that fucking company by force. They used to and everybody become equal fucking share owner of that goddamn corporation yeah. and actually get their equal share of the profits, hey, the wealth the means back to the by people. their time and their fucking hey, labor. Trisha, we outnumber Trisha, these motherfuckers. But Walmart but Walmart offers stock options to its employees. <laughs> this is what I think about that. This is how much that means. Fuck their stock options. Uh, that is not enough. That is not sufficient. That's the thing. Any wise, hey, any, any good parasite knows not to kill its fucking hosts or the parasite itself will die. So what the fuck's wrong with the Waltons and the Bezos? That's a good drink world? right there. What the fuck? Austin, what's up? You know, you are a uh, what I would refer Marty. to as a uh, Lumen Pro. Lumen Pro. Um, and you are the greatest resource to the uh, burgeoning awakening of the proletariat. You're poor, you're oppressed, and you don't even know why the fuck you're impressed or poor. No, I. I know why I'm oppressed and poor, but. No, no, I didn't mean that as a slight. That's not what I meant. No, uh, I know, but I, I do know I'm. Uh, I, I know you don't know me, but uh, 
I will I will be running for Congress in 2024. That's fantastic. So, um, you can you can go ahead and dive right into that. What I'm saying I is will. that I hope you don't feel that your only solution is that you have to subjugate to the wage masters of Walmart. No, that I don't. Is, that. that is greatly upsetting to me that any proletariat would feel subjugated to wage masters. And I know many people are, and that's what keeps them in the pocket of poverty and oppression and makes no, people poor and poor and poor systematically. Look what the United can, States engineered for the black folks in this country. They've been engineered to be further and further and further and further away. Do you hear me? Sir? If we can, we shop locally. I would rather shop at a store that somebody I know owns than sir, I'm not, shop at sir, a I'm not, I am not attacking you. I'm not attacking you. I love you, well, my comrade. I love <laughs> you. I know you're not what attacking What I'm saying you. is that I'm absolutely not attacking you. What I am trying to do is further radicalize you and help to push you more towards class consciousness. That's all. I am not marginalizing you, and I hope that you do not feel marginalized by me in this conversation. I love you, comrades. Yeah, but you're trying, listen, you're trying from one conversation we've had on here, you're trying to understand me as a person and the way I think, but that's not possible. Not, not even close to being possible. Now, if you talk to Rob or uh, Trisha, I think they'd, under, they'd tell you that I am a uh, pretty radical. Uh, Indeed. So, I mean, you're you're just thinking that, I, well, I shop at Walmart or I do this or do that. What we've talked about here on this podcast. No, not at all. I'm not looking well, at you at, at, at that, like that at all. I would like to make you angry and push you further to be more radical. I, I don't want to burn down Walmart, man. <laughs> Why not? All Walmart should be. I have a little girl, and I want to be there for her. (laughs) So no, that's the only way I could get more radical is by like burning down. (laughs) (laughs) And one step shy of that is seizing the means, which would be beautiful to see if all the people who work for Walmart across the country were to actually come together and truly fucking unionize. That's who the teamsters hey, need to talk to next, too. When I and when I worked for Walmart, they uh, I like that all, fire I like all of us left us hate each talking other. About union. Since Pennsylvania is a right to work state, they can fire you over anything. So they would Pennsylvania is a right to work state. Yes, Pennsylvania is a right-to-work state, so they can fire you over looking at them funny or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, at, at will. You're an at-will employee. Yeah. Yes. So if anybody well, in there talked about unions when I worked there, they would literally fire them. Now you know why the whole mid-70s movement towards federal right-to-work laws, as it was on bumper stickers and shit, was a ripoff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Y'all are reaping the benefits of it, and you don't even know. Your parents and grandparents voted for that shit. Yeah. 
that is a bullshit fucking law that they put in. Right to work is a ripoff. Yeah. It makes yeah, wages yeah. lower and it increases poverty. Higher wages increase livability and reduce crime. It's not oh, yeah. that's not my opinion, that's a fact. No, you're but right on how, that. How can some people be convinced that right to work, which essentially empowers employees, employers to pay people lower wages, which will increase crime and increase poverty, is positive. How does that happen to a reasonable, rational person? Who in their right mind sits back and goes, hmm, yeah, ah, fuck yeah, man. Let's reduce wages, increase poverty, and that will increase crime. Oh, that sounds great. Our, our parents and grandparents- Let's just give more money to the police. They were manipulated beyond belief, you know, so. Oh, man, we were propagandized like motherfuckers. Let me tell you, I was fucking, I saw all that shit. I'm just glad the younger generations are waking up. So. I'm very happy for it. And I hope that you don't feel that I'm chastising you for what you said. I am totally not. I'm so happy that y'all young folks are waking up to like moral socialism and communism instead of just rhetoric. That part is great. Um, being more active in the workplace and in a social context is extremely important. These fucking billionaires and these fucking decrepit wealth hoarders are poison and they're parasites and they're killing us. They're killing the planet. Yeah, they're killing us and the planet. Yep. You're 100% right there. You are absolutely correct in your views and your thinking that we need to eliminate these people. Have you ever thought? Have you ever thought? This is just a thought. I'm not, I'm, this is pure hyperbole. Okay. Have you ever thought, wow, the world would be better off without <laughs> Almost every yeah, day. Yeah, we've discussed guillotines and such. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I, I mean, like I don't with say that $600 fucking stimulus. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? Right. That? Bring your own barbecue sauce. Make sure it's well seasoned. Yeah. But roll out the guillotines because. You know, with that six hundred dollars stimulus, that was just enough to be able to buy the supplies to build the guillotine. You know, or an AR fifteen, right? <laughs> That's also a good option. Liberals and don't believe in guns, but socialists do. Right? Liberals. <laughs> liberals. Right. By liberals, do you mean fascists? Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> Remember y'all, here, hold on, hold on, with my still, this is like three days of In-N-Out Burger Cup, okay? That's just a regular fast food cup right there. Three days, reusing that, get that right there. Hey, that, a lemon lime, Waterloo, very good shit. In-N-Out pays their employees pretty good, I heard. What, In-N-Out? In-N-Out, yeah, like 18, 18 to $26 an hour, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nice. Now, there are certain companies out there that are more progressive and very forward-thinking. Personally, yeah. myself, when I became completely class-conscious about 
I don't know, 10, 12, some years ago, man, where I was just like, what? hold on a minute. Oh, this is what's going on. There was a lot of information about how rich people were just fucking running around, unstoppable, doing whatever the fuck they want, writing all the laws, writing all the tax codes. It's like, what? Wait a minute. Hold on. That shit is rigged, right? Clearly. And it's more evident even today. Um, you can't oh, wow. I got pretty high and I kind of like forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> we do that here. Okay. <laughs> Um, let me try to, let me try to circle back around on this. Uh, what personally, I would love to see more of y'all going out and trying to radicalize other people. Like all these protests and all these marches, all this shit, poor shit. Okay. You know, go back and look at what, during the Bolshevik Revolution, what they were doing. They didn't just march with whoever. They were marching with ideologically agreeable comrades. And they were not going to be nice. And they knew they were not going to be nice. And you know what? <laughs> they were successful. I mean, you know, they ended the parasitic fucking bourgeois monarchy poisonous, disgusting, inbred bloodline of the Romanovs. And it's still the workers' utopia. And it's too bad Lenin fucking suffered a couple strokes and died and whatnot too early. It would have been great if he would have lived for about 10, 15 more years at least. But he had a strong protege and Joseph Stalin. Stalin was an outcast. He was a literal... Um, what you could say completely marginalized uh, part of, you know, that particular part of like Southeast Russia, right? He was from Georgia and he had a very heavy Georgian Russian accent and he was not easily fucking accepted into, um, you know, what they were calling the, the, the construct of the, of the Bolsheviks, right? They looked at him as like a, a thief and a liar and a hijacker and a bank robber. And he was, he totally did all that, man. But he was like, fuck y'all. We're fucked over here, man. This is bullshit. And we've had enough. And I think that the fucking black folks are almost there to that point. And that should garner our com comrades full support on that. If you're not armed, become armed. If you're scared, get the fuck out. Seriously. All, all the elements are boiling right now for revolution in this country. Like we have the far right and all the fascism and all the religious stupid fucking bullshit and all the conspiracy theories. And we're just like, what the hell, man? How come these people aren't in mental institutions? You know? Then you have the, the, the centrists who can easily be pushed into fascism through neoliberalism. And then you have 
the moral left, which is like, man, I don't know what y'all are doing. Leave me the fuck alone. You know, I don't even understand what the fuck you're all doing. It's not moral. It's not partisan. It's not even political. It's just insanity. This complete political system in the United States right now, the state of capitalism in this country, is complete horseshit. We're a genocidal, imperialistic piece of shit. We fund genocide after genocide after genocide after coup after coup after coup after election interference after election interference, defeating fucking communist menace. It's horseshit. China hasn't been to war in 30 motherfucking years. Or wait, maybe even longer than that. It's been a long time. You know what they've done? They have made the United States look like a bunch of fucking dipshits. They're so far technologically advanced and above us now. And they're going to surpass us now. You know? And it's Yeah, just, they're about to hilarious. become the world's they, largest economy. China yeah. has trolled the entire world. They were like, okay, let's create this socialist economy. And we'll make this whole fucking bunch of fucking world of white people ship all their labor over here, and then we'll have control over them. <laughs> well, and that's what they did. Production of uh, medication. Meanwhile, landing, meanwhile <laughs> landing a, Mar- a, Mar- a Mars rover. <laughs> what was that? What was that about medication? They have the production of medication. Remember at the beginning of the pandemic, they couldn't even get... Uh, heart medication and all that because China makes it all. So. I don't know about all that shit. What yeah. I do know is that our dialectical approach to our material role in this world has been skewed. I'm immensely confused by um, the racial divide that keeps happening. I mean, it's and we lost him. And he's back. Yeah, I got cut off again, y'all. Uh, that being said, we probably really should get on rap. Somebody please, up. somebody please take the mic. I will fucking hawk this shit for five hours, man. Come on, man. Please <laughs> save me. Rob. As, as I was saying, I think it's probably about time to wrap it up. We've got about <laughs> two and a half hours here. <laughs> wrap it up, B. Wrap it up, B. What, what were you going to say, though, Austin? I was just saying, go ahead. Go. Oh. All right. Well, uh... Hey, sorry for beating all you youngins up. Um, I would love to come back every time and be the uh, uh, antagonist. I like doing it. I'm very good at it. Anything I can do to make more proletariat class consciousness, I'm absolutely for that at all times. And at the same time, racial unity, humanity, working class pride. Hell yeah. Anyway, uh, to anybody who's still here, thank you for joining us on our piece, uh, part six of Black Panther Party and Dialectical Materialism. Um, 
next week we will be picking the book back up at serving time at big graystone on page 108 that'll be thursday night at eight there's already an event page made for it you just got to go to the facebook page and uh sunday night we are releasing our piece on the pullman strike both on facebook and youtube and podcast platforms and then monday we will hit we will be having our usual current event stream same time 8 p.m eastern i hope to see you all then peace love and bread Solidarity. Solidarity. Okay.